Hamilton and Richter here and myself, we went up on Grand Swamp Pass and we looked, we were looking down uh, towards the Telluride side. And I remember Rick Hamilton saying, well, I just wasted $300 on an air ticket. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way I'm going down there. And Richter here said, no, come on, you know, let me show you how it's done. And he leaped off the edge and we were like, well, you know, that's the end of Rick. But it got too many miles to go. I'm just an old hard rocker running from the dust till dawn. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just a midnight walker wondering what's it taking so long. Uh-huh. When the sun goes down, that's when I'll see my so, hi everybody. My name is Daniel Ryan. I am the social media director for the Hard Rock 100 Endurance Run, and I am joined today by by Chris Twiggs, Hard Rock board member, no longer man without a title, uh, 16-time finisher, and guy who is just happy, really happy to be here to talk to our incredible guest today. Yeah, so today we're having on Gordon Hardman. Um, he is the founder of hard rock so he is the one who put out the ad into ultra running magazine way back in i think he said 1990 um and really kicked off everything that is hard rock that you know today yeah i mean it's it's just amazing to think about that right that that hard rock didn't exist he he just came up with this idea to do this thing and got some friends to show up not just friends random people that he had never met showed up from around the country to do this thing. And now here we are talking about it. Uh, and, and there are you know, thousands, literally thousands of people who wait years to try to get into hard rock for the opportunity to do this tour of the San, Ro- San Juans and kiss the rock. I mean, we owe it all to this idea yeah. that Gordon came up with. Yeah. I would say Gordon Herman, similar to, um, to myself. I'm always the one who <laughs> texts my friends cuz it it sounds okay, so you have the friend in the friend group who <laughs> is <laughs> so you my have the friend God. in the friend group who's always willing to like throw a crazy like a bat crap insane idea out idea out there and just see if anybody's going to jump on it. I have done this to my friends so many times. I've texted them and be like, "Hey, I've got this dumb idea. Do you want to go try and do this? And it just kind of reminded me of every time I've texted two of my best friends and said, I have a stupid idea. Would you guys like to help me implement it? Um, and that's kind of, okay. So I guess I'm not like him. No, um, but I, you know what, Dan, you've, you've made a very good, you've made a very good case for it that, yeah, he's that guy that says, Hey, y'all want to try this? And he, and he's got the personality and, um, that, that people are going to say, yeah, sure. Let's give it a try. Let's see if it's possible. And what we heard, I mean, if you think back to the episode that we did with, with Rick and Nancy Hamilton, when they were going out on the course marking, they didn't know that this was going to be possible. They didn't know. Can people really finish this thing? in in one go, is this going to, is this something people can do? And by golly, they, they tried it out and they did it and it's possible. And, um, so no, that's, yeah, I love I love thinking now of Gordon as that guy with the crazy idea. And hey, let's let's try this thing out. And guess what? It worked. Yeah. And it's turned into this thing that we know and love today. That's changed my life. It's changed your life. Um, 
it, it it's really cool to be able to talk to the person who found who who founded the the run. It is. It really is. And I think not enough people know who he is. Um, we all know Dale Garland for good reason, right? I mean, an amazing run director. I think we all know Blake Wood, uh, amazing contributions that he's made as a board member. And everybody knows uh, Kirk Apt, uh, who has the most finishes. And, and there's so many personalities and individuals that have contributed amazing things to making Hard Rock what it is. And I think not enough people know who Gordon is. And hopefully after this, they'll have a greater, greater appreciation for where this all got started. Uh, thanks for coming on, Gordon. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I um, got into ultra running kind of accidentally back in uh, the middle 1980s. A uh, friend of mine said, why don't we run Western States 100? And I'd never heard of Western States 100. I thought it was crazy. But we ended on the buddy system. And uh, you only got in if both your names got drawn, which we did. So we... You did, but you still had to qualify, and it turned out I qualified, he didn't. <laughs> so, so I ended up running it on my own, and uh, I, I found I had an aptitude for it, and I enjoyed it. You know, I grew up, uh, I was born in Africa, in uh, what was then Rhodesia as a country, became Zimbabwe, which it is now, and uh, ran track at school, never did, never did like the longer stuff. We did have a cross-country team. I never made it onto it. I did... Uh, hurdles, that kind of thing, so shorter, faster stuff. But um, when we moved to the uh, to the United States in 1981, I, there were some 10K races around. I started doing those. You know, one thing leads to another. And when we moved to Colorado, there was this cool idea that somebody had called the Colorado Mountain Race Circuit, and it was a, a linked series of races around the Colorado and you got points depending on how high up in the field you finished. And so I, I entered that, and the first race on that was the Kendall Mountain Run, up and down Kendall Mountain in Silverton. And uh, it, was, it was tough. A uh, brutal race for me at the time was the longest run I'd ever done, et cetera, et cetera. But then there were all the other ones around Aspen and various other places that, that had them. And that led me into the idea that trail running is so different from running on a track or even some of the cross country, which is not really on trail, but just, just fast tracks and so on. And, and so living in Colorado, if you want to get into the mountains and see stuff, you've got to be in, in shape. And running the mountain race circuit was a great way. We did that for a couple of years until that, the, the mountain race circuit kind of fell apart and then I drifted into ultra running. So, Very wow. So that's kind of the lead up to where, how I got into ultra running. Well, that, that definitely does lead us up into where you got into ultra running. And, uh, and so now really the question is, how did you come up with the concept for hard rock, which is different from any of the, uh, the hundreds that existed at the time? You know, I'd had it. It started forming in the in the nineteen eighties because I'd I'd heard um, jeepers, the people you know, drive jeeps around the San Juans, talk about a hundred mile loop that they did that it, that went from Silverton over to uh, Telluride, then to Uray Lake City, and then back into into Silverton. They called that a hundred mile loop, and uh, I it kind of piqued my interest because I'd been running Western States, Wasatch and a few other runs. And um, 
I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could have a race that was 100 miles to parallel what the Jeepers were doing? And right about that time, the the Great Sunnyside Mine, which was the one of the main reasons that Silverton existed, um, closed down. You know, the price of silver or gold or whatever it was extracting fell, and they, they, they closed the mine down. The economy of Silverton rested on two pillars. One was uh, tourism brought in by the train mainly, and the other one was the, uh, the mining uh, there. It had, of course, mining had been huge in the 1800s, early 1900s, up to World War II time, but then it had been steadily on the decline since then. There's a great book uh, written by Alan Bird called Silverton Gold, highly recommended reading, talks about the history of the mine and how it came about. And I think he was probably the last, I think he was the last manager and saw the closing down of it uh, occur. So um, there was a lot of discussion about what's going to happen to the town. How are we going to survive? Because the miners had uh, were the ones that had kids. A lot of the shop owners tended to be older. Some of them were retired folk um, and would come in during the summer, open their shops and serve the tourist trade. The miners were there all year round and they had kids and they, they their kids went to school. And so the, the, the main reason for the school was to serve the miners' kids. And there was talk about with so few kids, maybe we should bus them to Durango. There was even a, a, a semi-serious suggestion, why don't we just close the town down, let it become a ghost town like so many other Colorado mining communities have had become over the, over the uh, years since the great silver uh, crash of the late uh, 1800s. And um, so I, don't, I think it was not, it was kind of tongue in cheek a little bit, but you know, there was some rationale behind it because there was people running snowplows and other governmental things that were based out of Silverton and the tourist trade. And that was it. And a few festivals like the Rhubarb Festival, the Brass Band Festival, and a few other things that went on. And the Silver, and the Kendall Mountain Run, not to take away from that. So um, when that happened, I, I, the, my idea for the run had, had to, I had to get going on it. And, uh, so I kind of blindly, I just put an ad in Ultra Running Magazine. I didn't have, I didn't have a course. I didn't have a permit. <laughs> I didn't have anything. So I, I didn't have a, a race committee or anything. It was me. So I, I put the ad in and I started getting responses to it. And, and so I sort of said, yikes, I've got to do something. Um, and the, the name was pretty obvious because of the mining connection. I never really considered any other name, uh, you know, the Hard Rock Miners were there, uh, had been there all the time. And so this was, and, and the community was all based around Hard Rock Mining. There was the one festival they had was called Hard Rockers Holidays, which was uh, the miners would go and um, demonstrate their skill and all these sort of things, holding big jackhammers and drills and doing uh, very macho mining type things, contests and competitions and that sort of thing. So the, the Hard Rockers and the name Hard Rock kind of was was a natural fit for that. So that was it. And I, I at, at that point, I it, when I started getting people responding to the ad and ultra running, I realized, oh my God, I, I really have to. Um, uh, this is really going to happen. So uh, you know, there's a lot of bits to putting a, a run together like that. So when you were getting when you were getting responses from the ad that you put out, were they pretty far and wide all over the country, or were they pretty Colorado centric, or? 
No, they were spread out. I mean, we all over the place. I remember one guy from Pennsylvania kept leaving a message on what was then an answering machine. We didn't have voicemail. And we kept playing the message back. And all we could tell him was he was from Pennsylvania. Anyway, we, eventually we got that sorted out. Um, and I, 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 wrote, I knew John Kappas slightly because John had put on um, a, an ultra run in, um, in Telluride called the Telluride High, which, which I'd run a few times and I really enjoyed. And, and he knew the mountains like the back of his hand. He used to go hunting with his father all over the uh, San Juan Mountains. So he, nobody knew the mountains better than him. And he worked down at Los Alamos. So I called him and I said, John, I, I need help. <laughs> uh, I've got, uh, so I talk, explained the situation to him and we discussed the course. I think I may have even sent him my notes because I'd notionally mapped out where the course would go. And I sent it off and I heard nothing from John for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I thought, oh no, he's um, he's blown me off, you know, he, or he's too busy or something, you know. So, and then, one day, this big Manila envelope arrived—a big, thick Manila envelope—and it was from from Los Alamos. And I opened it up, and man, there was a lot of stuff in there. John had gone over all a whole bunch of different options. I forget how many there were—maybe as many as six different options. He'd gone over them with a planimeter on the on the on the map, and he had these formulas where uh, he'd work out what the gradient was, and then multiply by a factor because the planimeter was wrong. Um, He's an engineer, so, you know, <laughs> what can you say? None of the routes could go all the way into Lake City. It, or we could, but then it would end up being like 110 miles. Um, and it just didn't quite seem right. The original idea was to start each year in a different town and, and rotate the start around. But um, I never got any love out of the other communities for, for that idea. Silverton probably because of the economic situation they were facing with the mine closing, were quite interested in it. I actually went down, I met with uh, Bill Norman, who was the Parks and Recreation Director for that, which I think meant, one, he organized the Kendall Mountain Run, and two, he uh, kept the toilets at Memorial Park clean. Um, <laughs> and so that was the Parks and Recreation Director for Silverton. But Bill was a really nice guy. We went down and met with him. He had never heard of 100-mile runs. He thought it was absolutely nuts. But uh, he agreed to take it to the, uh, the to the town council and present the idea, which he did. And, and they bet on it. And they allowed one of their employees, Chris Maxfield, uh, to um, spend, I think it was two or four hours a week helping us with the race, uh, with getting uh, all, the, all the things needed in the town. So... With that kind of support, uh, and then with the, the help from John, and John brought in the, the Los Alamos crowd, which included Charlie Thorne and, and a few other people, which and they have been great. I mean, without John Kappas and, and Charlie, uh, this would never have happened. And then uh, Dale was uh, it was very interesting. Um, D Dale and I knew each other slightly because we'd run hundreds together. So... And in one of the hundreds, my wife Molly was waiting at an aid station for me to arrive, and there was somebody else there waiting for his runner to arrive. And they started talking, discovered they were from Colorado, and it was uh, it was Dale's father. And so Molly was chattering to him and, and 
said, oh, we, we love Silverton. We love the, the mountains, the San Juans, all that kind of stuff. And she said, you know, my husband has had this crazy idea for a while of putting on a 100-mile run in the San Juan Mountains down there. And Dale's father said, well, if he, if he ever takes it any further, get in touch with us. We'd love to help. So, so we did, and that's, that's how Dale got involved in, in, in it. Uh, the first year, I, I, was, I, I was the run director because I was putting it together, and I actually ran the race as well. I don't know if that's ever been done before, but it was, it was uh, quite exciting. I'm, I'm also an amateur radio operator, and so I would run with a little um, handy talkie in my pack, which I could pull out and listen to the race communications going on because – uh, the other person who really helped with the uh, communications was a, a friend of mine, Jan King. He's a, a radio ham. He now lives in, in Australia, but uh, he really took the bull by the horns and started contacting people. Uh, there were, there, in those days, there were no cell phones. Um, there was no communications of any kind whatsoever in the San Juan Mountains. Once you went, um, there was not, it, it, now there's a little cell phone town tower near the Y in Silverton. And so th there, is, um, there is some cellular communications down there, but most days were zilch. So uh, we had to have race communications. Uh, I, I don't think we would have got the permit to put the race on if we didn't have a, a solid plan for how we were going to manage the race uh, communications-wise. So Jan, Jan gets high kudos for that. He, he did an excellent job on that. And there were a lot of other people in the ham radio community who just, just came through and showed up. People went up on mountains and put up temporary repeaters, and uh, it, it, was, it was insane. The other person, I think, was there was a guy, Biff Stransky, I want to say, I don't know, who worked for, I think he worked for BLM. And we had to get a permit. John wrote out the course description. Once we'd figured out we couldn't include Lake City, um, the, it became clear where the course was going to go, and we discussed several options, and we ended up with pretty much the one we've got today. Uh, and uh, John wrote up a description. It went through USFS, BLM, and private land and various things. So we had to get all these permits together. There were at least three or four different administrations that were involved in that. Um, and the chances of getting all of them to read our application and respond and then us to respond to any questions, concerns, and so on, was beginning to look unlikely. But this one guy, Biff Stransky, really took the bull by the horns and he said, he said, leave it to me. I'll write, I'll take your description and I'll send a cover letter out to the other land managers. And that's what he did. He said, I intend to issue a permit for this thing. It's going to be going through your, your lands. Here's how it's going to go. Da, 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 da. Let me know by the end of the month if you have any objections. And there weren't any, so we got the permits. So, so I think he gets, um, I think he gets a huge uh, shout out for 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 initiative there. Uh, we've had some issues with land use over the years, particularly over in the Wasatch Basin, a, a bit, you know, near Telluride, where one landowner was trying a kind of a, I think, a sleazy move where he bought an old mining claim and then put up signs saying, you know, access is forbidden, no entry, trespassing, for, you know, forbidden, et cetera, et cetera. He was trying to get a, a deal where the BLM would swap some land that he really wanted lower down, which is more suitable for development for this useless mining claim up in the Wasatch Basin. Anyway, that's, a, that's an aside. 
That, that, that was my reading of what happened there. We eventually worked that out and, and, and got through that that uh, that thing. So, And we, we crossed private land in a couple of other places for short distances, which have never really been a problem. That's pretty amazing that the you know the first year got going by sending a packet of envelopes to to you with some course descriptions in it and some hand measurements on hey here's what the elevation gain would look like that's pretty cool because I remember when we talked to I think it was it was either Nancy Hamilton or David Horton um, they said they ran into you guys out there and you're like well yeah we're walking the course because we've really only ever seen it on paper and paper doesn't give it justice <laughs> right so. Yes, it's true. With that being said, uh, the logo with the bighorn sheep, the one that I have on my shirt, that you have on your shirt, that Chris uh, apparently didn't wear today, um, is iconic. So the bighorn sheep it's is a, just it's an, an audio. Logo. It's an audio podcast. I just want to point out it's an audio podcast. Yeah. Okay. Um, whose idea was it for the the logo? And were, I, were there other animals considered? No, I had the idea, and I I there was um I'm trying to remember the name of the of the lady who did it. We, Jan and I worked uh, for a company called Orbital Sciences and the um, the receptionist at the front was quite good, quite artistic. And I asked her, could she sketch the head of a bighorn sheep? And she did it. She did it in charcoal and she did it quite on a, on a large piece of paper. And uh, I thought that's great. Just the head, not the wild and tough and other things on it. And then um, I was working with a T-shirt company here and I took this uh, charcoal drawing over to them. Uh, I didn't have a, a scanner or even a, dig a digital camera at that point in time. And so I took it over and we uh, scanned the thing in. And this guy had some great software running on a Mac uh, that put the wild and tough and the other stuff on it and colorized it. And that's how the logo came about. And that's what we put on the T-shirts. And we printed up the, the first few years. I made trophies out of gold mining pans. Um, there's a few of them around. They were 14 inches or something in diameter. And I just pasted in uh, the, 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 the logo into the center flat part of the pan. I had them silver plated which turned out probably wasn't a good idea because silver tarnishes. <laughs> so, But it was all we could afford. The, the first year, the first couple of years, in fact, uh, my wife and I were funding the whole run because we didn't get enough from the the entries. The entries were based on what other 100-mile races were charging. And so uh, that didn't cover all of the costs that you have in starting a new race from, from the ground up. So we put that in, and, and my wife Molly was very good about it, but, uh, you know, the money was going out. <laughs> and, uh, so I said, look, we'll, we'll try this thing for three years, and if it doesn't take off after three years, we'll let it fizzle out and we'll, we'll get out of it. And, of course, the first year we had 43 entrants, 42 runners, and I, I forget some fraction finished. The next year there were actually fewer fewer entrants. And so I was beginning to think maybe this thing is going to fizzle. And so uh, in the third year, of course, it took off. And, and Dale and Dale really took over then. I, I eased out of the run director thing and let Dale take it over. And uh, he got the, the, the race committee together. So now we had a course director, John Kappas. Um, and, uh, and we had the run director, Dale, Dale Garland, took that over as run director. 
And we had a, a, a machine in place for getting our permits every year. The, uh, Jan had put the ham radio community together, so we had 20 or 30 radio hams who would show up and man the aid stations and remote places out there. And uh, it just seems to have taken off since then. And I, I could never have foreseen that, how huge it would become. <laughs> so, so did you come up with the slogan, Wild and Tough? I did, I, guilty as charged. Was there anything else that spoke to you beyond just the course and the you know the landscape out there? Not really. As I as I said in some of the early material, you know, I I considered it a postgraduate race. That's why we always have the qualification. You wouldn't want to attempt something as tough as hard rock as your first hundred miler. I don't think there may be talented individuals out there who could do that, but I think you want to learn the basics of 100-mile trail running on something a little less intimidating uh, and um, and get into hard rock. Um, so so uh, hard rock is described as a graduate-level ultra. Um, who came up with that description? And was a 100-mile finish always a prerequisite to lining up? Yep, yep. Yeah, that was... And that was already happening, I think, Wasatch and a few other places were, were, were having... You know, requiring it. Western states has always, had always required that you finish a fifty miler uh, in order to qualify, uh, not a hundred miler. But there were mm-hmm. enough hundreds around. Um, let me see, in nineteen eighty nine, I think it was Marshall Ulrich and I were the first ones to run six one hundred milers in a year. We we did that. We didn't know, we didn't plan it together, but we kept bumping into each other in all these races and. Uh, Basically, we, we both discovered there were only 600 milers at the time, and so we both decided to do them all. Um, he finished, uh, he was a better athlete and faster than me, so technically he was the first one. I was the second. <laughs> what, what were the six? Old Dominion, Vermont, Western States, um, Wasatch, uh, Angeles Crest uh, and Leadville. I'll, I'll be turned. Yeah. Wow, wow. So um, let, let the record show that I, I know I was not wearing a Hard Rock shirt at the beginning of this, but I've, I've put on a Hard Rock finishers medal because I just happen to have one of those sitting around by my side. Um, oh, wow. And uh, so now at least I'm I'm properly representing Hard Rock on this audio <laughs> podcast. Um, I, I'm I'm really interested to know. Gordon, because you you also have finished Hard Rock. In fact, you're an eight-time finisher of the race that you created. Um, but but running Hard Rock is very different from saying, hey, go do this thing. So I would love to know, you lined up that first year after coming up with the concept for Hard Rock and, and coming working with John Kappas and others on the course. You lined up, you ran the event, you finished it. Was there anything that really surprised you about the course itself as a runner, as a, as a hard rocker? I don't think, you know, some of the exposure up there was a little interesting that you get. Uh, although I eventually adjusted to that, it freaked, freaked some other people out a lot more. Uh, the exposure, mm-hmm. particularly like Bear Creek going up out of, out of ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing was on that, that year it rained and, uh, I, I remember I had the Gore-Tex uh, shell, kept taking, putting it on, and then I was then the rain would stop and I'd get too hot. Then it would 
I'd take it off and then it would start to rain again. And, and, uh, and it was, and, and then I, we went into the Cunningham Gulch aid station and I remember the poor people in there, they were standing sort of ankle deep in brown muddy water and looked like the tents were about to collapse and all the rest of it. And I thought, man, those guys, that might be actually harder than running the race. I'm glad I'm not under one of those flimsy looking canopies in there. So it was good. And I, I remember thinking, you know, uh, I was in third place and I thought I was having actually quite a good time. I thought maybe we should have made it 110 miles long. I might have won this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, goodness. That's interesting that you would have been able to add in Lake City if it were 110 miles. Um, just thinking. Yeah, of we would have had to go down uh, through the you know the big blue wilderness on that side and into Lake City from the back and out. And the options came out. I think 110 was the least we could get it down to, but probably going to be more like 114 or 120. Wow. Um, so that's too bad. But the the people from Lake Lake City uh, really did a good job of of going up to um, Sherman and setting up the aid station. There was like a, a little town at Sherman. It was, it was great. That's amazing. Um, so Nancy Hamilton, the first female hard rock champion, told us she never really tried to win. She just wanted to beat Susie. Um, we have a feeling that all of us have a Susie, someone who brings out our competitive spirit. Um, looking back on your eight hard rock finishes ranging from 1992 to 2010, who was your Susie? Somebody you just like to beat. Like mine's Chris Twiggs almost. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I've got anybody I really want, want to beat. I've always thought that just finishing is, is good enough, but the person I admire and uh, I've learned a lot from has been Rick Trujillo out of, uh, you know, out of Telluride. He out of sorry, out of URA. He's a uh, an icon uh, in the running world. He's done so many amazing things, and um, and uh, I, I I just you know I, I remember the first time we went with uh, Rick and Nancy. I think that Rick and Nancy and Hamilton and Rick Trujillo and myself we went up on Grand Swamp Pass, and we looked. We were looking down uh, towards the Telluride side, and I remember Rick Hamilton saying, well, I just wasted $300 on an air ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm going down there. And Rick Trujillo said, no, come on, you know, let me show you how it's done. And he leaped off the edge, and we were like, well, you know, that's the end of Rick. But it's just... <laughs> It's a scree, and he showed us how you can run on a scree slope uh, down there. And uh, we we all took off and did it. So this was during the course recon re reconnaissance or marking. I forget what we were doing at the time. But anyway, it was it was quite cool. But I distinctly remember Rick Hamilton saying, "Well, I just wasted three hundred dollars on an air ticket." <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, we we had we had an amazing interview with Rick and Nancy Hamilton, and uh, we definitely are going to get Rick Trujillo on the podcast uh, in the future because he is he's he's somebody I I admire um, tremendously and have learned a great deal from. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, with your eight finishes and more more starts than that at Hard Rock, are there any other stories like what you just mentioned? Are there any other stories that jump out at you as 
incredible moments either during course marking or the planning or during one of the events themselves uh something that you just will always remember on a particular spot out there on the hard rock course yeah one uh, there are probably a few if i sat and think about thought about it for a while i could probably come up with more i remember i think it was the second year maybe it was i think it was the second year dale was already race director and at that point we had an official hard rock phone number is it there still were no cellular phones around, but I had my ham radio two meter handy talkie with me, and there was what they called a, a phone patch uh, attached to the repeater in Durango. And if you keyed in the, the on the touch tone keypad, you could access this thing and make a phone call. And I knew how to do that. And when I got to the top of Handy's Peak, I pulled this out and I clicked, and lo and behold, there was the Durango repeater, ham radio repeater. Uh, was come, I could bring it up from from Handy's, so I thought, well, what the hell? And I called it like this, da, 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 da. and uh, Dale answered, and I said, "Hi, Dale, this is Gordon. I'm on top of Handy's Peak." I don't think he believed me. I think, <laughs> I think he thought it was a prank call or something. <laughs> so was that during I, I was that, that during was Hard Rock? Good. Yeah, during, during the event, that yeah, I mean, <laughs> in the middle of Hard Rock, you called you call the race director, the run director from Handy's. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, you should that, do that, that to him cool this one. year, Chris. Another time, I remember coming down. Uh, well, going? I was going up, and they were coming down off of Handy's Peak, and uh, I saw this guy standing there doing this ballistic vomiting, just really throwing <laughs> stuff up, and. I thought, oh, man, poor guy. I went up there, and there was somebody standing next to him, and I thought it was a runner and his pacer. Well, it wasn't. It was Blake Wood was, was the runner, and he was fine. It was his pacer who was having it. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, Blake, you're going to have trouble getting a pacer in future, you know? <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have to ask Blake about that when I see him next. <laughs> We didn't know that yeah. pacer and, and ballistic. I've just learned a term ballistic vomiting. It's exactly that's perfect. I know ex everybody listening knows exactly what you were talking about, Gordon. And I have to say one one year I can remember doing hard rock and it was um, it was a counterclockwise year. And um, and we were early. We were going up um, little giant. So that's how early we were. And going up the road, we hadn't, hadn't even gotten to the trail yet. And there was a runner, as you say, ballistic vomiting on the side of the trail. And uh, he kind of turns back toward us as we're, as we're heading up the very, very first climb of Hard Rock. And uh, he kind of turns back to us and he said, well, that was unexpected. And my response was, no, just early. <laughs> it's not, not unexpected at all. <laughs> just early. So, so your last finish uh, was 2010, Chris, you said? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, um, Gordon, right? That Gordon, was your last, your, your your last, last finish. Was... I think so, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm 72 years old now, so, you know, it's getting a little harder to finish these things. And uh, I, I, I got eight, I got 18 finishes at Wasatch. So in both cases, I would have loved to have got 20 finishes at Wasatch and 10 at, at Hard Rock. I don't know if that's possible anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. But uh, yeah, I get uh, the last few years I've got automatic entry because of the number of times I've I've done the race. So. Oh, cool! Wasatch is a really wonderful. That's I think after Hard Rock, I think Wasatch is my favorite 
uh, run. So beautiful. Are we Dan, getting what through else your have questions? We've got, we've got, the, yeah, we've got you. Well, the, I'll tell you what, Gordon, you you did a fantastic job without having much time with the questions. You answered a lot of them before we had a chance to ask them. So um, so we appreciate that. I will say great. if there is if there is a question that we didn't ask that you were hoping we would ask, key it up for us. And because we this podcast is all about capturing those stories of hard rock. Um, what we really want to do is let our listeners understand what this event is about, where it comes from, who were involved in the early days. We want to capture those stories. And so if there are things that you think people should know that we haven't covered, let us know and we'll tee that up as a question to you. Yeah, not really. But one thing I will, I do want to do, I um, had a banker's box full of all of the records from the early years of the run. And it was lost for a long time. That that little document that I sent you was written entirely from memory of what I could remember of it. And I thought, you know, before I go any further with that document, I should go through the the old records and the files and, and that sort of thing, because it was Pre-computer days, not much was entered in in a com- in a computer. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I might have had some stuff on on floppy disks uh, <laughs> that was computerized from back then. But where that is, or if I could access it, I don't know. But then my wife was doing some house cleaning and uh, was throwing stuff out, and then she came in with this box and she said, "You want this box of old files and stuff?" And I looked at it. Oh my gosh! There it is. There's all the early records from the first couple of years of the hard rock, including a, a copy of the Silverton Standard and the Minor, which is turning yellow from age, listing the upcoming race of, of, of it and giving some of the some of the stuff on it. So, do you well, have we the need to get a map drawing of the course? Yeah, I've probably most of it. I haven't looked. I haven't gone through the box properly yet. I want to do that and see if some stuff can be scanned in now and uh, before the newsprint completely. Dan uh, wants that. I promise you. Dan would love to have some of that to put out on our our social media account. I'm am I am I wrong about that, Dan? I'm more than yeah. No, that'd be awesome. I'm more than willing to help digitize it as well. Um, okay, I'll uh, let me go through it. A lot of it is mundane stuff like uh, bank records because we did have a ba- I, I opened a bank account for the run for the first couple of years uh, until Dale took over and that sort of thing. So pretty mundane. I, I was hoping I would find the original uh, ad that ran in Ultra Running Magazine. I suppose it's probably out there somewhere in internet land, but uh, I was hoping I could find, maybe I could even find the original thing that I sent them uh, for the, I think you paid a, a small amount of money and they ran the ad for you. That would be amazing. And I'm thinking, because we're, we're in this age of live streams, right, where every run and event being live stream, and I, I, I can't think of how cool it would be to have some of this on the set um, during, during oh, the yes. run. Okay, um, well, yeah. Oh, Well, let me absolutely. make an effort to go through it, and I'll, I'll send along any files or anything that I find or anything that I can scan. That would be amazing, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd appreciate that very much. It really would. Gordon, when you look back on what hard rock has become, uh, going from this little idea that you had and this ad you put in the the news in, in the magazine without even having permits yet, when you look back at that and what it's become today, 
what is the thing that most surprises you about hard rock? I guess the fact that it's moved from being a, a super fringe activity to being just um, inundated with people trying to get into the run. Uh, I've been on other 100-mile runs, and when it, we talk about hard rock, everybody, the question that says, I've been trying to get into hard rock for three years, four years. I can't get in. How do I get into hard rock? Uh, it just blows my mind that uh, the first year we had 43 people. We didn't fill up. I think our permit, we asked for 50 or 75 or something, but we didn't fill it up. We didn't fill our permit up the second year. That would, That's so far gone today that it's it's un- unbelievable. So I think that's, that's the thing. And I, I really have to give Dale credit for that. I think Dale, uh, John Kappas and Charlie really well, Dale way. and John Kappas and Charlie and, and Rick Trujillo, who you mentioned, all of them are just amazing uh, pioneers in, in the sport and hard rock. But at ev- everything, none, none, of, none of it would have happened if it hadn't been for you. Uh, so, Gordon, on behalf of all hard rockers and future hard rockers, thank you. Thank you so much. I cannot, I cannot express how much it means to me to be a hard rocker and, and that that, that wasn't even a thing until this uh this guy from Rhodesia came up with the concept. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's when I Chris, that was a pretty cool conversation with with Gordon. I, it it really was and again, I can't it's it's so humbling to me to think that that this guy started this thing that means so much to us and I'm so glad that we got to hear those stories about how he came up with the idea and I'm excited for some of those um those artifacts that he has unearthed that fortunately his wife did not throw away I can't wait to see some of those things and um and to get a little bit more insight on the early years of hard rock yeah I also liked when he mentioned that there was only one name for the event, yeah. right? The name yeah. was Hard Rock. Hey, we've got Hard Rock miners who come to the area to mine hard rocks. Um, <laughs> for lack, you know, that's the, it's a pretty self-explanatory definition. Um, yeah. And it's the perfect testament to name the the run after them because those are some tough individuals who went into those mountains and hauled ore out, right? Yeah, I think uh, Terry Wallace gives a great presentation in Silverton the week of uh, Hard Rock, and he shows pictures of all of these, you know, people riding in tram buckets and these tiny little mining towns that are built on a cliff's edge um, that have since fell into a canyon. Um, <laughs> but it's it's really cool to 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 see that hey, this was ending. And they needed some economic prosperity in Silverton. So one of the best ways to do that was to hold a running event. Kendall Mountain Run was already there. must have been helping mm-hmm. the town. And by hosting Hard Rock there, it just provided more opportunity for income to come into Silverton. You know, you're, you are exactly right. And and he mentioned in his and uh, what he was talking about, he mentioned that originally they had talked about changing the start town for hard rock, rotating it around the different cities. And we've heard that from Dale as well. But I think we understand now why it's so important that 
the start was always in Silverton. Um, frankly, Silverton needed it more. Um, you know, Lake City and, and Uray and certainly Telluride stand on their own. They have their own personalities. And it's not that Silverton doesn't have its own personality, but I do think that the Silverton personality and the Hard Rocker personality have become intertwined in, in a huge way. And I think that I, I can't, as much as I love, my heart is in Uray. Obviously, it's my favorite city in the world, but I can't imagine any place except for Silverton for the start and finish of Hard Rock. One thing we also haven't mentioned this week is how is your training going? Chris? Yeah, um, I ran four miles yesterday, so it's coming along yeah. just like it should. Yeah, no, actually, I ran a marathon last weekend, so um, so the training is is definitely coming coming along. Ran a marathon last weekend. I've got another marathon coming up in two weeks, and I'm you know I, I've definitely got some some work ahead of me to get myself back to where I was. My last hard rock was 2022, which isn't that long ago, but it's amazing how quickly you can lose your, lose your shape. Um, I did run a hundred miler. That was my last hard rock. I did run a hundred miler, um, back in May, but it was flat and asphalt. Um, so not, not hard rock training even a little bit. So, uh, I, I will thank you for asking and keep, Keep asking, keep me accountable. Anybody that's listening, if your name got drawn or if you're high on the waiting list, by golly, get yourself training, get yourself training, get ready for that thing. And, um, we will, as we get closer and closer to the event, we'll talk more about the things that are going to be happening in Silverton, including all of those training hikes that we're going to be doing to get out on the course. If you have never been out on the hard rock course and you're going to be there as a runner or a crew member or a pacer, or you just want to be in Silverton, we want you to come out on those hikes and get to learn the course and see the beauty that is the San Juans. Got too many miles to go. I'm just an old hard rocker running from the dust till dawn. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm just a midnight walker. Wonder what the day is so long. Uh -huh. When the sun goes down, that's when I'll sing my mind. 